Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. Today we will conclude our series on the promises from the upper room, the promise of sorrow turned to joy. We will be discussing the sermon from Palm Sunday. Join pastors Kirk Sexton and Bruce Johnson as we discuss what it means when Jesus tells the disciples that they will see him again. Also, we will discuss the idea of the future joy that awaits those who trust in Jesus and his redeeming love. Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. I'm Pastor Kirk Sexton, and with me as always is my good friend and colleague, Pastor Bruce Johnson. Kirk, it's good to be with you as this may be the best podcast episode yet. It might be. Yes, we've been dealing with this exciting story of Jesus with his disciples in the upper room and all the promises that Jesus gives to them and to us. Lots of things, the promise of the Holy Spirit, um, the promise here of sorrow turned to joy that Pastor Steve opened up for us this past Sunday. I, I thought that was a wonderful promise to remember. Yes, it was great. Have you, ever, sermon. have you ever had sorrow? I've had some sorrow. I've had some sorrow, too. I think we all have had sorrow. Right. But that promise that uh, our sorrow will ultimately be turned to joy, that's, that's a great thing to hold on to and to remind each other about That is the ultimate hope that we have to remind each other. So Jesus says all these promises at the Last Supper. What else do you remember that happens to Jesus on that same night that he was betrayed? He was betrayed. That's one thing. Yeah. Are we talking about in the context of the upper room or then? In the upper room, yeah. What what do you remember? I remember uh, foot washing. Foot washing, that's right. Uh, Really an example of uh, being a servant leader, Jesus gives them. Then there's communion, Jesus talking about his body being broken for us, his blood being poured out for us, and the the commandment for us to keep on remembering him in that way. I know we're not there yet, but his prayer in the garden is very memorable to me. The uh, Peter pulling out his sword and cutting off the ear of... uh, I guess it was a servant, I think, right? A servant, right. And then Jesus says, put away your swords. Mm-hmm. And then um, all the disciples getting scared that night. Yeah. Uh, the denial of Peter three times. Right. Uh, Jesus yeah. beginning some of the sorrow, the, the physical suffering that right. evening. Right. That so, so much anguish that he, he has blood that comes out of his brow. That's right, trying to plead with the Father, uh, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yeah. That happens that night. And on the same night, Jesus gives us commandment to love one another mm. as he has loved us. Yeah. So all that, so many things going on, so many things for us to remember as we think about that evening. So lots of things happen on Monday, Thursday. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about that in the Monday, Thursday service Uh, That will happen on the evening on which uh, this podcast episode is released, uh, 6.30 at Mountain View Presbyterian Church in the Sanctuary. Uh, So a lot more information about archaeology and what Jesus and his disciples experienced. So I'm looking forward to that very much. Yeah, that that looks like it's going to be a great time of worship and learning. Also, uh, do you want to join us for the Good Friday service? Also at 6.30 on Friday of uh, Holy Week. And Kirk, you've designed that service, and there's going to be lots of music. Well, I've worked with Jackie, and her choir has been working on some special music from Dale Wood. He has a service of darkness. 
So it's special music. We'll have much more choir music. Really, I think seven anthems. Right. Uh, reflecting the seven last words, the seven last phrases of Christ on the cross. And we'll also leave room for time of quiet meditation. I think it's going to be a really great opportunity to worship. So a lot of times to remember Jesus this week. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, and then Pastor Steve and his sermon really focused on this idea of a little while. A little while. Okay, yeah. so we're going to try an experiment. Uh, one of us will read the text, and the other person will count off how many times the phrase a little while appears here in John chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. Okay, do you want to be the counter and I'll be the reader? Okay, I'll count. Okay. Do you want me to pause in my reading when you do the counting? or? No, we'll just go right through, and then okay. afterwards I'll, I'll tell you what the count is, so the listeners can count themselves. Okay, very good. This is John 16 and verses 16 through 24. And you do have the new revised standard version today. Yes, the updated edition. Not yet in print, but available online. That's very confusing to me. It is very confusing. I wonder what they updated. Well, well, uh, there are a number of updates on uh, a few phrases, but uh, they finished it right around COVID and then they couldn't get anything published during COVID, so... It's very confusing. It seems like we shouldn't be doing updates to the masterpiece that Metzger, wasn't Metzger like? Bruce Metzger, yes. The chair of the the Revised Standard Version Committee and the new Revised Standard Version Committee. He was one of your teachers, wasn't he? He was, yeah. A great man of God. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I'm uneasy about that. This is John 16, verses 16 through 24. A little while, you will no longer see me. And again... A little while, you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying to us, A little while, and you will no longer see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. They said, What does he mean by this little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said, A little while, and you will no longer see me? And again, a little while, and you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she, is, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. On that day, you will ask nothing of me. Very truly, I tell you, If you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. So, Kirk, I counted seven times in that short passage that we hear the phrase, a little while. It reminds me of an old story. There was a man that was deep in prayer, and all of a sudden he has this vision that he's standing before Almighty God. And he's thinking to himself, gosh, I've always wanted to ask God something. (laughs) So he says, God, is it true that for you, 
uh, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day? God says, yes, that's true. It's true like one minute is like 10,000 years and 10,000 years is like one minute. Yes, it's true. And is it true that it, for you, one dollar is like a million dollars and a million dollars is like one dollar? God says, yes, that's true. God can, I have a dollar. And God says, just a minute. <laughs> just a minute. Just a little while. What do we mean by just a little while? What What is in our minds and what is in God's minds? Especially when we're in a sorrowful situation, we're in distress, we're facing mm-hmm. adversity. Yeah. Uh, we're waiting for that relief to come. That's a really tough spot to be in. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's. are we talking about, is this... Is this little while that he's he's going to die? He's going to be in the tomb, and then on the third day, rose, rose, rise again. Yes. Or is this a um, um, you know talking about uh, a, a future coming? Right. Clearly, in this context, Jesus is talking about the fact that after a few days, right, he'll be raised from death. But I that, love the, I love that the disciples just said. Um, we don't know what he's talking about. In fact, in the nine o'clock service, there were a lot of people that kind of chuckled about that. And I, I thought that was really, uh, I thought that was good. Yeah. Sometimes uh, the teaching of Jesus is pretty perplexing. Mm-hmm. Even phrases that we've heard a long time uh, or very often in our lives, uh, we still puzzle about, well, I think I know what he means there. I think I do. Yeah. But maybe not. So Jesus is very explicit here about that. Well, that's one thing I do like about this series is Pastor Steve is focused on things that maybe I have glossed over in the past. Mm. He's taking it slow, a slow journey through the promises of the upper room, Mm -hmm. this upper room discourse. Yeah. So there's a phrase that our good friend J.R.R. Tolkien came up with to describe this sudden turnaround the consolation that happens when the story comes out all right at the end. Mm -hmm. And he invented this term called eucatastrophe. It's attaching the prefix EU, which means good, Mm -hmm. to catastrophe. catastrophe. So it's a good catastrophe. Mm -hmm. It's like eulogy, EU, Mm -hmm. U, and then logos. A a good word Mm -hmm. is a eulogy. A eucatastrophe is a good catastrophe. Like Galleon. Right, the good news, mm-hmm. right, yeah. So, Tolkien began describing this in an essay called On Fairy Stories. He's trying to talk about what's the essence of a fairy story. We know that uh, in uh, a drama, there has to be something bad, and that's how you can tell it's a drama. Mm-hmm. You get very serious about it. Tolkien says, in a fairy story, the thing that really marks this is the sudden term from disaster to a happy ending. Mm -hmm. And Tolkien then began describing how that's what happens in the gospel. It's the ultimate story. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we get caught up in that, that sudden turn from tragedy into joy, into the happy ending and the consolation um, that occurs with that. Mm -hmm. So Tolkien writes this essay on fairy stories. It's used in a tribute book uh, to a friend of his and of C.S. Lewis's that uh, died shortly after World War II, Charles Williams. Mm-hmm. They put together a tribute volume to raise money for his family, you know, help them with funeral expenses and whatnot. Okay. Uh, and later, Tolkien begins writing to his son about this. And he says that uh, not only do 
those good come out at the end in fairy stories, but they come from this place where joy and sorrow meet. Writing to his uh, son Christopher, he says, and I conclude by saying that the resurrection was the greatest eucatastrophe possible in the greatest fairy story that produces that essential emotion, Christian joy which produces tears because its quality is so like sorrow, because it comes from those places where joy and sorrow are at one, reconciled, as selfishness and altruism are lost in love. Mm. Uh, and it reminds me of uh, a hymn about when sorrow and joy meet. It's that same thing. And, and that's what we experience Holy Week, thinking about all that Jesus did for us. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately the turnaround when it turns to joy on Easter morning. And Pastor Steve had that great story of Oreo, the dog that got lost. I was so worried about Oreo. I know. It it didn't look good for him. No, no. I, I worry about our dog Gizmo. Sometimes he'll bolt out the front door and, and he'll just be off in a flash. And we're thinking, oh no, where's Gizmo gone? Well, Steve may not know that because he thinks us city slickers don't know about coyotes. But we had a coyote jump over the wall and attack my dog, Leo. Oh, my no. Yeah, yeah, Leo is a survivor. Yeah. Yeah, we heard the carrying on out in the backyard. My wife ran out there and, you know, because he had pinned down Leo and was holding him down. And and he, he was too big to, I guess, jump over the wall with him. Right. So he um, was calling for his pals to come and that's when Shelly ran out there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was very traumatic. (laughs) Well, another experience we know about in the desert is flash floods. Right. We get those flash flood warnings. Especially this time of year. Yeah, there's an image uh, of flash floods in one of the Psalms, Psalm 126, where it talks about where God brings a happy ending. Uh, The context of that was the um, exile of God's people when Jerusalem was destroyed in Old Testament times. And then they're allowed to return to their ancestral homeland. So we read in Psalm 126, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream that our mouths was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. And and that's the phrase, watercourses in the Negev. The Negev is the desert area in the south of the country. And when the watercourses are restored, it's talking about a flash flood. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. May those who soar in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seeds for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. I think that Pastor Steve quoted um, Psalm 30, uh, verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. It really is a concept that we see again and again in Scripture, that uh, sorrow is there for a time, but God leads us to ultimate joy. Mm. 
I love that. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a good word for people who are going through a season of grief. Right, because sometimes it's very disorienting. You don't know um, how you're going to take it all in. And sometimes we worry that we have to have every problem solved today or that we have to bear the load of several days worth of grief and sorrow at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's just getting through moment by moment and day by day. Yeah, definitely. Now, one of the things that happens here in chapter 16 is Jesus talking about answers to prayer. Now, we looked at that several weeks ago when we looked at John 14. Mm -hmm. Uh, The phrase in John 14 is, uh, this is from verses 13 and 14 of chapter 14 of John. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. Mm. So you compare that here with Jesus' words in John chapter 16. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. Right, and we talked about some of those aspects of answered prayer in that previous podcast and one of those things is that we need to do it rightly or according to god's will right and we can look at other scriptures that talk about that Mm -hmm. Uh, first john chapter 5 emphasizes the fact that we need to ask according to god's will Mm -hmm. Uh, then in the book of james chapter 1 it talks about how we need to ask in faith Mm -hmm. not ask doubting you know go big or go home type thing, ask in faith. And then in James chapter 4, it talks about we do not receive because we ask wrongly Mm -hmm. in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Yeah. So that uh, it's like asking God to invent something that he can't handle. Um, There are nonsensical questions that we can ask God, and there's prayers that God cannot answer rightly. And there's prayers that God doesn't answer because he knows it's not, it's not really what we need. It's not, it, it won't be for our own good. Yeah. Uh, God, give me happiness, but let it be on my terms, not your terms. Well, God can't do that. <laughs> there's, right. Right. there's no ultimate joy apart from him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, each week in the Full Dig podcast, we have a something related to archaeology. What did you dig up this week? Well, it's something from the city of Jerusalem. Uh, There was this very old graffiti that was found as they began the excavation in what was the southern part of the temple complex, or these stairs, very wide stairs that led into uh, the temple area in the time of Jesus. What I found interesting was this kind of was started because of the Six-Day War in 1967. Right. Between 1948 and 1967, the Jewish quarter of the old city of Jerusalem was just decimated uh, by the Jordanians who were occupying that. So after the Six-Day War in 1967, they began the process of rebuilding the Jewish quarter of the old city. But Mm. before they did that, they said, well, this is a time to excavate there because we have to take away the rubble anyway. And in doing that, they discovered a number of things from biblical times, including um, the southern steps. Those are, these are the steps of the temple where Jesus uh, 
was when he taught. Very often we hear Jesus teaching on the steps of the temple, and that's what's meant. Okay. So you're excavating there on the southern steps of the Temple Mount, and they came across this inscription that was a partial quote of Isaiah 66, the last chapter of Isaiah, verses 13 and 14. So the complete quote is this. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your body shall flourish like grass, and it shall be known that the hand of the Lord is with his servants, and his indignation is against his enemies. So what they found was a partial quote from this. It was, you shall see, and your heart shall rejoice, your bodies like grass, uh, leaving out the verb, shall flourish. Mm. Uh, and it's like, what w- was going on there? And so it seems that this was an inscription from the year uh, 362 or 363 AD. Uh, we know about Constantine and how Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire in the 4th century AD. And then there was an emperor after Constantine, and then there was another emperor, and that emperor was Julian, and sometimes he's called Julian the Apostate, because he says, no, we don't want Christianity to be (laughs) our religion. We'll go back to the old pagan ways. Right. And so um, this emperor just, uh, uh, Julian the Apostate, decides, well, you know, there's a good way to prove that Christianity isn't all that in a bag of chips. I'll just go back to what Jesus said, that the temple will never be rebuilt. Well, rebuild it, aren't they? Well, prove that Jesus was wrong. Right. And so uh, they started to raise money among the, uh, the Jewish diaspora, the Jews in exile, and then they began to say, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pony up some money for that. We'll rebuild the temple. And uh, they started to make plans to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, kind of a third temple, uh, first temple period being the, the Old Testament time, second temple period being the New Testament time. So this was going to be a third temple in the 4th century AD. Right. And they start to build it, and all of a sudden there's a fire breaks out and as they're trying to build things. And then apparently there was an earthquake and other things. And then all of a sudden, Julian the Apostate, the emperor, dies in battle. And you get a new emperor, and he's Christian again. <laughs> <laughs> Everything shuts down. But... It, so in this time that there's the promise of the temple being rebuilt, they say, uh, and somebody writes out, you shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bodies uh, will flourish like the grass. And they thought, oh, this is all going to be a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah 66. And quoting from Isaiah 66, this one uh, pious person thinks, well, God's going to do one thing, but God ended up doing something else instead. Mm. So that was an instance of God doing a turnaround in in, in a way that the writer of the graffiti probably would not have liked. Mm. Uh, But uh, God always has a plan. Is there still people thinking that they want to rebuild the temple? There are people. uh, In fact, there's something called the Temple Institute uh, that was started by somebody who's died recently. He says, well, we should reinstitute all the Jewish sacrificial system. We should get everything prepared. And so they have begun preparing uh, different implements for uh, sacrifices in Jerusalem again and uh, different uh, clothing for people to wear. That's according to things not only found in the 
Old Testament scriptures, but also in different parts of the uh, Talmud, the Mishnah and the Gomorrah that describe different articles that were used in the temple. Mm. So it's, it's uh, quite amazing. You have people that still have that dream of rebuilding the temple. Well, you have a picture here for us of, these, uh, of this um, inscription on the rock. Right, and one of these lo- very large Herodian stones, we call them Herodian stones, they're very big ashlar blocks of limestone, and they have a, a little dressed corner around the end, so it almost looks like a picture frame as you look at the yeah, front or, face or of these stones. Or, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, could people get a look at this if they wanted to look it up? Uh, yes, they can look that up. If you look up, um, if you look up uh, Jewish graffiti and Jerusalem or uh, Temple Mount graffiti, you can find a picture of that stone. Yeah, it's kind of neat to look at that. Well, each week, in addition to our archaeology, we look at our eco-confessional standards. These are the... Uh, confessional standards of our denomination. That's right. Different uh, historic documents in church history that are great to come back to again and again as guides to what the Bible is telling us mm-hmm. about who God is and how we should live to follow him. And today we are going to be looking at the Heidelberg Catechism. And the first question is uh, question number 88. How many parts are there to true repentance or conversion? And the answer is two, the dying of the old self and the birth of the new. So it's pretty easy to figure out what the next two questions are going to be about. What does it mean to die to the old self and what does it mean to uh, have a new self? Right. So question 89 says, what is the dying to the old self? And the answer is sincere sorrow over our sins, and more and more to hate and to flee from them. Mm. Have that kind of change inside. That's great. And then question 90 is, what is the birth of the new self? And the answer is, complete joy in God through Christ and a strong desire to live according to the will of God in all good works. There it is again, joy, complete Mm. joy. That's where we're headed. Well, that's good. And that fits really well with what we're talking about. It's very, uh, fits very well with Lent. Yes. So that's awesome. And uh, I taught on the um, Beatitudes, and uh, it fit really well with what I was talking about, too. That mm-hmm. The idea that, you know, we should grieve our sin and, uh, and want to do all that we can to avoid it future. That's right. So that number 89 there is great. And that's all part of the change of heart that uh, happens in us. Mm -hmm. Uh, God fills us with his spirit, and uh, we yearn more and more to please God. Another feature of the Full Dig podcast. There's another feature? There are more features? We have many features. Apparently. (laughs) One of our features is the C.S. Lewis quote of the day, and what do you have for us today? I have something from The Great Divorce, which is a story, an imaginative story of people in hell that take a bus trip to heaven. Yes. And in the midst of that, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about what it really is like to, um, to follow God. He says, there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Mm. 
All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. Not necessarily a Reformed understanding. No, but uh, talking about the fact that uh, those who are part of God's people will find joy. Right. And the, the joy itself is being in the presence of God, being in relationship to God. Yeah, it's sort of like the, um, what is it called, um, when it's Calvin's five points, it's, that's irresistible, irresistible grace. grace. Yeah. Irresistible grace, that's right. Uh, God keeps because after Because once us. he's begun a good work, when he's touched our stone-cold hearts, then the process of renewal begins, and we, once once we're saved, we're always saved. Well, you're a paragon of Reformed knowledge. Well, I don't know. I love it. It always gives me, I think it talks about, it's all grace. It's pure grace. It's not on what we do. So did you bring a quote from our Reformed heritage to help us get on track and uh, remember that irresistible, irresistible part of God's grace. Well, <laughs> I don't know if this one is, fits exactly that, but I do have a quote from James Montgomery Boyce. Yes. And he observes, he says this, The world, far from sorrowing at the loss of Jesus, actually rejoiced that he is now out of their way and would no longer be a bother to them. Or so they thought. <laughs> I added this. <laughs> so, so, so they thought. thought. That's right. Yeah, God was at work. Yeah. Uh, boy, it, so many times when I have been in a situation where I didn't know what was God was doing, but so many experiences in my life have taught me God's not done. God has a plan. Yeah. Uh, I often think about what will it be like when all is said and done. And I think about I'll be around with my friends and we will be telling each other over and over again, wasn't God faithful? Mm. And everyone will say, yes, God was faithful, yes, always. Definitely. Well, Bruce, would you close us in prayer today? Happy to. Let's pray. Lord, you are faithful. There are times when we can't figure out what in the world is going on around us. But even in those times of disorientation and confusion, we confess you are faithful. You are the faithful one. You are the one who turns things around. And you are leading us to joy, the joy that is found in your very presence. Lord, lead us on. Lead us forward. Keep on working inside of us by your Spirit's presence and grace. And Lord, more and more in us, grow the desire to please you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Kirk.